always do the fact that God, the Son, took on flesh and became one of us. We're doing it in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn, please, to Philippians 2. In anticipation of uh, enjoying the Lord's table together, we will proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes, uh, even tonight in a special Christmas Eve communion service. We'll close the evening on the Lord's table. And before that, we need to do a little bit of reflection on what it is that we're actually celebrating. We are so far from the, the tired argument about Jesus is the reason for the season. We're so past that. And uh, Christmas is not about commercialism and all the things people have uh, worried about in culture. I think if we've, if we've learned anything in the last couple of years, you just kind of have to let the culture go. You need to learn enough uh, cultural literacy to be able to speak the truth into it. But you need to be very careful, you and I, we both, we all need to be very careful to uh, get our understanding of reality from some other source than the culture. What we're learning in the study of Philippians 2 and the passage on the incarnation of God the Son and the flesh of man, we're learning something very counterintuitive, something very opposite what we would expect. And we're learning that as not only the pattern of our Savior, how he, being God with all the glory and honor that comes to God, taking on the flesh of man and humbling himself all the way to the point of the death of the cross. Not only is that his experience, his example, his pattern, it is emblematic for us. It's supposed to be our pattern. It's the attitude we take on. We read some of the most radical encouragement uh, that you'll ever hear in all of God's word regarding your life and mine because of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, like at verse 3, where Paul tells us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Let me come down off the high rostrum. Very risky thing to do. Making the electronics have to like figure it out. I mean, Joel have to figure out the electronics. I'm supposed to not think of myself. I'm supposed to disregard myself and regard the other person as more important than me. That is not the way we wake up in the morning thinking about life. That's not how we think when we, something bad happens. We don't think... Well, obviously, since I'm not worried about myself, what about the other people? The first thing we think of is, oh my goodness, is my stuff going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Is, is everything going to be all right with the thing that I was planning to do? We are instinctively selfish. And if God wasn't around, if there was no creator, we might be wise to say, I have to hold on a little bit for myself just a little bit for myself. I'm going to hang on so that I can, I can help someone else. Here, grab my hand. See, if, if, you're, if you're falling down the fire escape, and here I am hanging on, I, I can hang on to myself. I know he's going, to, he's going to pull the whole pulpit down. I can hang on for myself with my right arm, and that gives my left arm freedom to, to help you out, right? Now, that's if there is no creator. That's just me being a good guy trying to help you. But what if there is a creator, and what if he's got me? That means I have both my arms and all of my resources. And who's got my feet? Who's got my waist? Who's holding me as I help you up the fire escape? Who's got me? Get my hand. See, it's much better that I pull you up where I give full attention. And the only way I can do that is if somebody else has me. 
and that's faith. I believe in my Creator. I believe in His promises. I believe He said He would do, He will do what He said He would do. And so I am free to love with abandon. I'm free to let go of those concerns that I have about myself. As Paul says, do nothing from, empty, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. He's showing you part of the mental attitude that goes with Jesus' great commandment. A new commandment I give you in John 13, 34, that you love one another just as I've loved you, that as I've loved you, that you would love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have agape, if you have love for one another. And the goal of our instruction is love, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. And so in this consideration, we're being equipped with a mindset, with a mental attitude for how to do something that's completely counterintuitive. Of course, I'm not going to disregard myself and just consume myself with my concern for someone else. Of course, I'm going to hold a little in reserve and take care of me. I've got eight blanks. I'll take two of them for myself and the other six, I'll let someone else. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't worry about you. Think about the other. That's the radical nature of Philippians 2. Too, and all the Christmas classics, all the ways that we talk about Christmas and the popular expression, they're all basically trying to remind us that people are, tend to be selfish and what should happen because of Christmas, whatever that is, is we should become a little less selfish. But that's not good enough, is it? We need something radical. We need God the Holy Spirit to do something that His Word is calling us to that's far beyond just I'm not quite so selfish. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also, or even more, for the interests of others in Philippians 2.4. And now you have the incarnation passages we've been studying. Have this thinking or attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a bondservant or a slave being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So I started with a command from Paul in Philippians 2, 3, and 4 about disregarding self so that you are free to regard others for God's sake. And then we got the ultimate picture of self-disregard in all of world history. Jesus, God the Son, taking on flesh of man so that he could die for our sins on the cross under the authority and direction of God the Father. That's the pattern that we're told. And the reason we have that pattern is so we could say, okay, I'm going to assume the attitude and the practices of my Savior. I'm going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus. And this is a message for the young, for the young at heart, for all of us, the tall and the small. This message is our pattern. Maybe some of the words I'm saying seem too big. We're not ready for all these big words like incarnation. But I think you are. This is the most important thing that's ever happened in all of world history. And it was for you.
Last time we got together on this, we worked through the verse by verse, uh, verses 5 through 8. We ended with the death of the cross. And I want to show you the detail in verses 9 through 11 now, because I think it's so very powerful and helpful for us. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the death of the cross. And this was under the direction of God the Father. That's our pattern. That's our pattern. And that condescension is the incarnation. It is God became one of us. Why? So he could die for our sins. Jesus Christ becoming what God the Son becoming one of us, being born of the Virgin as Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. This is so that he could pay for our sins, and it is our pattern. So whatever proper respect we think we're due, we can just let that go, you see. Whatever we think we've got coming to us, Merry Christmas, whatever we think we've got coming to us, let that go. The Grinch thinks that he has a nice, quiet morning to enjoy. That's what's coming to him. Ebenezer Scrooge would just like to everybody to just keep working through Christmas so that he can make as much money as possible. That's what he has coming to him. Everybody has something that they think is coming to them. Well, glory and honor and praise is what's coming to God, and God the Son disregarded all that was due to him, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the death of the cross. Now, this is where the interesting pattern shifts from self humiliation to the point of the death of the cross and it changes direction to what's the new direction to what happened as a consequence the pattern of jesus is a cause effect pattern there is a cause and there's an effect there's the action and the reaction there's the way there's the work and then the wages earned and so far all we've talked about is the work that he did. We haven't talked about the wages. We haven't talked about what came about as a consequence. And this is where the pattern for you becomes very bright. This is where we start to open our Christmas presents. This is where you start to understand that God did this for you. And there are great and wonderful and high and lofty things you cannot even imagine coming to you in this pattern. One of my favorite melodies at Christmas time. I think was popularized by Judy Garland. And it is one of the saddest uh, of all Christmas songs. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It's so tragic. Because it's all about you just kind of getting through and having it okay, you know, have your... Since we don't believe in any of that stuff those Christians are worried about, we, popular culture, 50s, 60s America... We're going to, or 40s, 50s, 60s, America, we're going to just have ourselves a merry little Christmas. Seems a light, gentle song. Through the years, we all will be together if the fates allow. I mean, that is not at all what we're thinking about at all with the fates Why are we talking about the birth of God the Son to the flesh of mankind to save us from all of our sins in the same breath that we're talking about pagan notions of fate and fatalism? Well, a lot of theologians will really really wonder about that because they're fatalists. But um, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It's about do the best you can to make the most merry for yourself that you can. And the message of Philippians 2 and the actual Christmas spirit is... (laughs) 
The opposite of that. It's the opposite, right? We put Christmas lights on the house, right? For whom? <laughs> Hopefully it's not so that you can see them while you're sitting in your living room and you can just imagine what it looks like on the outside. Or maybe you have cameras facing your house so you can look on your phone what your house looks like on the outside, right? Christmas lights that you put on your house make me merry because they're pretty and I get to see them. You see what I mean? Who's it for? It's better, as we know, to give than to receive. And once you learn this, it's one of those axioms that you really can't uh, get away from. One of the s- statements I make about Christian, the Christian life is that God calls us to, be, uh, to definitely be part of his blessing, but more as a conduit of blessing than a reservoir. And the problem with us is we try to build a reservoir and close down the conduit so that, well, I don't want to lose all the blessing that I've got accru- accrued. And, well, that's not the design. You're supposed to be throughput. You're supposed to be passing it on. And that's what the message here is driving us towards. Have yourself a merry little Christmas is a horrible, uh, to me, it's a horribly depressing thought, especially for someone that has no access to what we're talking about in Christmas, that God, the Son, took on the flesh of man so that he could die on the cross to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So let's go to the place where the, where the, the pattern turns from humiliation to the point of the crushing death of the cross, and we continue in the pattern of Jesus. For this reason, of this humiliation also, God highly exalted Jesus. God, highly, God the Father highly exalted him. And he graciously bestowed on him, that's the word uh, uh, charizomai, based on the word grace. You can say gave, but this isn't the stock word in Greek for give. This is the word to graciously bestow, to lavish. He graciously bestowed on him the name which is above every name. What is that name? It means that he gave the name that Jesus had since he was born when his mother named him Jesus after the angel Gabriel's instructions. This name is now highly exalted and is, as it were, chiseled in the annals of eternity as the ultimate name of the universe, at the name of Jesus. Now, this is the word we just saw here. It's huperupsao, and I'll show you what this word means. Right, let me get my laser beam going here. Huperupsao and karizomai. He highly exalted him. And he gave him a name. Now, why do I want to emphasize this? Beloved, because Paul started this whole discussion off not with, let me tell you what really happened with Jesus. He is telling you that. That's not his purpose. His purpose is for you to disregard self and your concern for others. His purpose is for you to think like the Lord Jesus Christ thinks because you are in the pattern that the Lord Jesus Christ is in. And that's what's happening in this. So when you hear about what God the Father did for the Son, remember the pattern is that this is for you. This is your pattern as well. This is so much better than have yourself a merry little Christmas. This is so much better than what did I get under the tree. This is so much more important than what can I get out of whatever. This is what God has for you as you disregard self and you trust in him and be about his work. Huper hupsao, H-U-P-E-R-H-U-P-S-A-O is the Greek word. In English, it's a big, long Greek word. It's one of these words. This happens a lot in the New Testament. They'll just throw a couple of words together. One of them will be a preposition, huper, which comes into English as hyper. Hyper means a lot, more than, over the top, too much of, something like that. 
hypertrophy, could all use a little more of that. That means muscle growth. And hupsao, that's the, that's the main word that's been added to. Hupsao means to exalt. Guess how many times this word huper hupsao or hyper hupsao, how, how many times this happens in the New Testament? Anybody have a guess? Once. Eins. One time, and that makes it a hopox legomenon, which means it only happens once in the New Testament, and it only happens here. This is what the Father did for the Son with his name. He exalted his name. So it's huper plus hupsao. We break it down. Huper means super, more than, a lot more. We get the word super. Ex, uh, hupsao is exalted. So he super exalted him. He super magnified him. Remember why I'm telling you this, Christians. This is our pattern. It's the experience of our Savior, and we're supposed to think this in, him, in ourselves, which was also in Christ, who did these things. And so he was highly exalted. Now, what's the cause? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, humility. What's the effect? Glory and exaltation. Only here. Exalt, the word hupsao, comes about in James 4.10, talking to believers, the earliest epistle of the New Testament. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Can you read that again for me real, real loud, Nathan? Very good. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. Now we've grabbed one verse out of context, but do you see the word exalt together with humble? It's like there's a pattern because that's exactly what's going on in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. How about 1 Peter 5, 6? One of the Smiths want to help me with this one? Y'all help me? Come on, Joe. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. And it really means for the purpose that he will exalt you at the proper time. The purpose for your humbling yourself is that God exalt you. Notice these two concepts keep coming up together. And there, there aren't that many times Hupsao is used in the epistles. This is, uh, there are only a couple more that, that aren't really relevant to our topic, but notice this theme is a major theme in the Bible. Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself under the Father's hand, and so the Father highly exalted him. James chapter 4, humble yourself, the Father exalts you. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may, may exalt you at the proper time. Maybe I know the next verse, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, our memory verse. This is the pattern. This is the pattern of your Savior, and it isn't just a story that we tell the kids and say, isn't that wonderful? It isn't just that Jesus did this, and so we worship him for being so wonderful and humbling himself for our sake. We do that. And then as we have absorbed this truth that Jesus died for our sins, and as we're born again into this new life that happens the very instant that you trust in Christ as your Savior, the minute that you have this understanding that Jesus is your Savior, he died for you, that instant you have the Spirit of God in your heart forever. And the Spirit of God abides in you to make you the temple of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You have a mission. You have work to do. And it includes this pattern. It's a wonderful and a high calling. And we have plenty of Scripture saying this is God's purpose for us. So that at the name of Jesus, he super exalted him 
And he bestowed on him a name that's above every name, so that at the Anoma, at the name of whom? Of Yeshua, of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, what will happen? Every knee will bow in the future. Every knee will bow. Of those in heaven, on the earth, those under the earth. Wherever you find yourself, whenever this takes place in the future, you're going to bow down and honor God the Son as the God-man in the name of his humanity, Jesus. And I, I bring this out. He doesn't say in verse 10 at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say at the name of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the name of the, the Son of Man or God the Son or any, all the many names that we have in the Bible for the second person of the Trinity. It's the humanity of Christ that we're talking about here. Every knee, will conf- every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is kurios unto the glory of the Father. This is our pattern. This is our destiny. This is what the whole world is going to do. This is a, we mentioned Sunday, this is a great point in evangelism. Whether you believe in Christ or not, that determines whether you spend eternity with him or separated from him. That's the determination. You read about the, the basis for God's condemnation in John 3, 18. The condemnation is on the basis of not believing in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's, the, that's where the judgment is. Don't trust in him. There is an eternal separation from God, and you won't like it. But even though eternally separated from God, understand, there is coming a time when everybody is going to say, he is the Lord. Better to say it willingly to be part of this, to be on the train, if you will, than to be in opposition to it, be run over by it. But we're not finished. Paul continues to apply this to us. In verse 12, he says, For this reason, my beloved, just as always you have listened, akuo, hupakuo, to listen, and in this case, just like Shema, to obey, because you've listened. Now, listen, listen to the word. Your Bible says obey, and that's fine, but notice it's based on the word for listening. There's no obeying without listening. There's no hands without ears first. There's no doing the thing God wants until you know what that is, which means you have to pay attention to what he said. But I thought he'd want this, or I would just choose to do this way, or what if I was in control? You're not. We have to first listen and then do what he said. Build your Lego kit without the instructions. It may look interesting, but it won't be the thing that they wanted you to build. Oh, but I built it just like the picture. You're following their design. You're still doing it. Listen so that you can then obey. And that's what Akuo, Hupakuo is doing. Just as you've always listened or obeyed, not just in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul can't be with the Philippians. He's their leader, and he has, he has, he's one of the leaders that God has sent to lead them, but he's doing it uh, at a distance now. Much more in my absence, with fear and trembling, phobos, with fear, where we get the word phobia, and trembling, trauma, where we get the word tra- uh, uh, trauma. It doesn't mean trauma, it means trembling. With fear and trembling, the of your own salvation, the salvation that is your own salvation, your own salvation Caught our gods am I, work out. Not work for, but work out. And what this means, what this means is that Jesus has fulfilled this pattern and in doing that, he saved you 
by what he did at the cross, what you and I need to do with that is trust in him and put our simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we do with the work of Jesus on the cross. And having received that salvation, we now need to live out that pattern of humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand and so being about his work. And if he wants you to drink a cup that you think is going to be difficult for you to drink, you say, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's how, you, that's how you deal. And you trust him and you obey him in that faith. That's faith obedience. And you walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what he means by working out your salvation. You are saved by the work of Christ. Now you have a pattern to fulfill. So you work it out. You live it out. But we're not done. We have one more verse. The dynamics of the Christian spiritual life are not you just taking God's word, we listened, and then we just do it in our own energy. It has nothing, you, you cannot do what God expects of you. I gave you a really high bar at the beginning in verses three and four of Philippians two. You're gonna disregard yourself and concern yourself for the needs of others? Do you have that in you to say, it's not about me, it's about God, and be fully invested in his work? Well, I mean, you do have it in you, but only because God is working in you. In verse 13, for God is the one working in you. And I take this to mean he's in you, working inside your soul. God is working in you because you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. For it says, for hathaos, esteen, the God is the one who is working. Energon, the one working in you. Now notice he said before, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling in the same breath, for God is the one working in you. And this is one of the ways God is described. He is ha energon, the one working in you, both to want, thelo, and to energon, to work. Same word as energon, the one working. Now you have to work on behalf, huper plus the, the uh, uh, genitive eudokia, on behalf of what pleases him, his good pleasure. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ's pattern, fulfilling the purpose of his Father and the power of God the Holy Spirit, you and I now know exactly what our life is supposed to be like. We've trusted in Christ as our Savior. We've received the Holy Spirit, and we're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ even right now. So that God working in us through this word is able to motivate us, is able to help us want the things that he wants, and to do them. And notice this word eudokia, this good pleasure, this thing that pleases him, that's what I'm seeking. I'm asking that question constantly. Arrogance will never avail itself of this vital question, what pleases God? Arrogance cannot get past its own insistence on pleasing itself. And if you'll let go of you for a minute, you'll gain everything. If you just let you go and let the thought of what can I get out of this go and just let it go, you'll gain everything because you'll see clearly to say, I want what God wants for me. This is God's good pleasure. And it's what you're being equipped by the Spirit of God to work for, to want and to work on behalf of God's good pleasure. 
The accusation is that we're not grace-oriented. The accusation is that we are works-motivated or some other thing because, well, because an exegesis of Philippians doesn't accord with a simplistic, uh, errant theology. Beloved, the Christian life, of course, is a life of good works. Of course, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you're growing into maturity so that you could be about the good mature works that God has prepared for you. The Ephesians 2.10, grace works. What an absurdity that God would make you this performance, this performance uh, road, road race, you know, speed demon car, and then you wouldn't get any track time. What, a, what an absurdity that you would be made new in Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God and matured in the Word with capacity to do the great works that God is doing in this age and calling out some. Those who will respond to that gospel message, the recruiting ministry that God has entrusted to us of this great commission, of course your life is the good works God has for you. And so instead of thinking in terms of arrogance and libertinism and silliness and, and, and couch potato Christianity, well, I just want to rest and sit around. Instead of thinking... Uh, out of our own sinful natures, really, about being, well, I'm just resting in God's grace. What do you mean you're resting in God's grace? Well, you're all about working. Resting in the grace of God is, is equipping us constantly to be about God's works. That's the, <laughs> that's the, the mission. And, and to, to, to scoff at that, to, to chafe at that, is really, a, a, it's really an immaturity. Here's the way to think about good works. We are not out hustling for Jesus to gain his favor, but we know him more every day, and we desperately want to please him because we love him. That song, The Master Has Come. We love him, we seek him, we long to be near him. This is the attitude we have about our Savior. And anybody who's spent... Ten minutes as an adult and actually shouldered the load of adult life, you know that it's a huge, unspeakable privilege for the God of the universe to call you into his project. Say, I'd like to give you some of the work that I've been putting together for my children. Of course, it's the big show. Of course, it's what your whole life is for. Well, this Christmas, may we be so taken with the incarnation of the Son of God into the flesh of mankind. The humiliation involved in that act and that life and the pattern that it provides for us that we live our lives in expectation of the exaltation that comes from humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. If I could have the deacons forward who are going to help me serve the Lord's table tonight,